Hey everybody, welcome back to the America's Game Podcast. I am your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL. And I am also alongside my co-host, once again, Scott Connor. Scott, it's week seven, man. How's it going? Good, man. Glad to be back for another show. Uh, week seven, we're almost halfway to, I guess, the end of the regular season. But uh, yeah, time flies. And we see that every week. And what do I say every week? I always say, you know, it feels like the season's flying by and it feels like it's a grind every week, setting lineups, following injuries, trying to catch up with what the dynasty market's doing. But then as soon as it's gone, you're going to be like, man, a whole off season from not having like the grind, you know, you appreciate the grind when it's not here. You wish you had it. And then when it's here, you're like, man, I need a break. So anyway, I'm glad to be here again. 15th episode. Uh, got some interesting stuff to talk about, and I'm excited for this episode, too. We're really going to dive into some uh, some warp data, uh, which we did a month ago, but we have a little bigger sample size now, so it should be a fun discussion. Yeah, and we finally had a good uh, Thursday night game. We had some good performances from Eno Benjamin, DeAndre Hopkins. Kamara did pretty good for you. Olave did pretty good for you as well. So it was finally good to get a good Thursday night game to get our um, fantasy week started off correctly, getting all those fantasy points in. So I was happy to see that too. Yeah, other than uh, I think Rondale Moore was the only one that I started and basically anywhere I had him, I pretty much threw him in. Oh, and he, he kind of disappointed, but everybody else, what I hope for Thursday night is first of all, you try to, I think, avoid as many Thursday night players as possible, just because you've been burned over the years with, oh, I threw this guy in there in every league and hoping that I can watch this Island game. And then he puts up a dud and you're kind of like semi pissed off slash depressed the rest of the weekend, you know, cause you played this guy and he got five points. But uh, other than probably Rondale last night, you're feeling at least like, all right, I stayed paced, right? If you started like Kamara, if you started Chris Olave, Kyler Murray, like you didn't crush yourself. So everything can't go right. But I was convinced this game would go under. And of course, it blew the under by basically halftime and uh, shows you what I know. So don't follow my betting advice, just my dynasty advice. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm the only other one was Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz had a little bit of a crappy game, but I think that was just they were feeding the hell out of uh, Hopkins there. I think that had a lot to do with it. So, For sure. Yep. All right, well, I'm going to bring in our special host, our guest host for this week. It's one of our good friends from the Dynasty and Chill community. Uh, I've known him from there pretty much uh, the last couple years. He knows uh, he knew Scott before then in the uh, Dynasty Command Center world. Uh, so if you guys were around then, you might know this guy. And, and it's Ruben, and he is one of the uh, co-hosts of the Dynasty or the uh, Coast to Coast Dynasty podcast. And he's also the president of the River Craycraft Fan Club. Ruben, what's going on, man? Good. How about you guys? <laughs> Doing pretty good, man. Yeah. So no, thanks for having me. I'm uh, had to be happy to be here. Um, I think you need to take that ownership of the River Craycraft fan club because I have zero shares of him. So um, <laughs> it's all, it's all you, man. Oh man. That's your guy, man. No. <laughs> See a roster clogger, Eric. Uh, like you look up roster clogger on the dictionary. It's a picture of him. Now see, he's actually, he's even below roster clogger. He, he's somebody yeah. you rostered just out of novelty. You know, there, there is never any equity for somebody like that, but I do see it's crazy. Eric and I always message each other when we see somebody get cut in a league 
Yeah. And it's like, dude, man, you should have cut that guy two years ago. Like you're just now cutting Todd Gurley. Yeah. You know, or you're just now cutting like Drew Brees. We saw Drew Brees get cut a couple weeks ago. Well, I mean, Todd really, Gurley did just officially retire today. So, I mean, you know what I mean, though. Like, yeah, you've seen some I'm, of these cuts see and you're that, like, yeah, man, that guy hasn't been on a roster since like 2020. And somehow he's survived the entire. I mean, how many times do we turn over dynasty rosters in <laughs> a month, let right. alone like some of these players that land on your team? And so, you see some of these cuts and it's like, wow. Like, I mean, just wow. You know, like, the, the, so is this the first guy this got this time? First time this guy's hit waivers in 18 months, you know, like literally it's, it makes me chuckle. Eric and I always message each other like, woof, did you see who just got cut? Yeah. Someone just cut Emmanuel Sanders, you know, because he's going to come back from his TV gig and start yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I was just messaging Scott. I think it was last week. Someone in one of our leagues dropped Emmanuel Sanders and I'm like, it's week six. What are you doing, man? Why is that guy still on your roster? And then he also he picked up Marquise Goodwin. And then I was like, why the fuck are you picking up Marquise Goodwin? I didn't know what was worse, the drop or the or the ad. I, mean, I thought Marquise had didn't he have like a couple targets last week? <laughs> oh, like boy. I think he had like four targets or something. It's funny when I when I was looking at the usage for uh, Seattle, I was like Marquise Goodwin was the wide receiver three randomly. But yeah, that, that's bad. That's basically even if Emmanuel Sanders were to sign in the ideal spot right now, he'd be a roster clogger. Yep. So like, well, you, why are you having him when he's retired? Uh, it just just cracks me up. But everyone dynasties differently than we do. Somebody activated Kylan Hill today from IR or Taxi Squad or something. I'm like, what are you? Why, why is he even on a roster? Yeah. Yeah, they they apparently like him. They've kept him around and. They had, they've never even brought up Tyler Goodson, so I mean, I guess he has a shot. It's not. I, I was going to say they're the the biggest suckers in the room are Eric and I because we have all the Tyler Goodson still stashed, and the the Packers will just put Kylan Hill over him. I have so much Goodson and Zonovan Knight still sitting on active rosters, and they've never even played a game this year. Never even dressed. Yeah, there's times where I'm hesitant to cut Zonovan Knight because I know Eric will fucking pick him up. <laughs> but that's the only reason if Eric's not in the league, I'll happily cut him. Cause I know I could get him back. The second he gets activated, I could just go pick him up unless it's Eric and Eric will pick him up and just hold him on his bench. Yeah. But yeah, like that, that definitely is uh kind of disappointing. We were, we missed out on those two and Deshaun Corbin. We, we could have sworn those three would get opportunity at some point yeah. just to even be on the roster and nope. Yeah. They will yeah. in like three years though. So you have to keep him for like three years. Yeah. Do you think um, Tyler Beatty's worth a pickup with Dobbins being out for a month to six weeks? I, I've seen a couple people pick him up, but at the same time, like, no. Because yeah, they've needed a running back all year, and they've never even brought him up. Right. I mean, they're still going to have Gus back. They still have Mike Edwards on the – or Mike um, Mike Davis yeah. on the roster. Like, yeah. they, nothing tells you that they think – that he's got any shot, you know, he's probably needs two more injuries and they're the kind of team that would just go. I mean, they'd go sign like Tyson Williams back again, you know, like I, right, I just, right. it's, it's gotta say something when there's other guys that just keep getting promoted over him. So you just kind of got to let right. those guys go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, another, uh, 
I mean, we didn't really plan this out, but with the 49ers making a big trade last night, it's good to have Ruben on since Ruben's a big 49ers fan. So if you guys didn't see it, I'm sure the whole fantasy world has seen it by now. CMC got traded to the 49ers last night for a second, a third, a fourth, and a future fifth. Um, and that happened pretty much in the middle of the Arizona and Saints game last night. So pretty crazy trade for both sides. What are your guys' initial thoughts on it? Oh, you, Ruben. You're a big Niners guy. What do you think? So from an NFL standpoint, I'm super excited, right? I'm super excited. I think McCaffrey is a special player. Um, yes, he's been injured the last two years before this year. I think he's been pretty good this year, healthy this year. Uh, from an NFL um, standpoint, I'm happy with that. From a fantasy standpoint, I, I don't know how much it changes um, McCaffrey so much as it and what it does for the, the team in, in general. I think it definitely hurts the run, the rest of the running backs in San Francisco. I think it actually is going to be neutral to a slight positive for the wide receivers in San Francisco. Kittle, um, I don't know. I was already kind of out on Kittle from a standpoint in the fantasy world just because he hasn't really done much in the last eight, nine games that he's played other than last week. He, he was the first time he's done a whole lot, but, um, but yeah, I'm from an NFL standpoint, I'm super pumped to see what they can do with that team. You've got a, a running back. That's a really good wide receiver. And now you have a wide receiver. That's actually a really good running back too. So it's, this is Kyle's time to put up or shut up when it comes to um, putting an offense together. Uh, I'm a pretty big believer in Kyle. Um, and but you know this offensive genius thing goes around, so it's now it's time to show it. Really, you've got the weapons, you have a quarterback that can do a lot of stuff, so it's time to see it. Yeah, it's interesting with Kittle because there's like this narrative out there that all he does is block, which I don't I don't really understand. I mean, we look at the usage every week when we do our patron recap. Eric, like Kittle's always up there. The games that he's played, he runs routes. I mean, I'm looking right now; he's ninth in the league in route participation percentage. So it's not like he's out there just blocking. So like I can understand fading Kittle because he's not producing for fantasy, but I I think where it's wrong when you say that they've they're just using him as a tackle. You see that all the time. Like all oh, the Niners are just using him as a tackle. And I mean he's running routes on almost 80% of their dropbacks. So I mean that's ninth in the league. Now, you know, he's missed time, he's injured. I get that, but like, I still think he's basically on the higher tier of the tight ends after the top four. Like, I, I would probably take Njoku over him. And then you can kind of say, okay, who do you want next? And, I mean, the usage for Kittle is fine. Uh, I think the interesting thing with Kittle, though, is, like, the, they now have three other guys that are legitimate target hogs. And I don't want to say, like, alphas, but... Ayuk, Debo, and McCaffrey are all like 20 plus percent target share guys. So like there has to be something taken away from somebody. So I think that'll be the interesting part. I think it's just going to be, you have to hope the offensive efficiency becomes really good. That Jimmy G, here's what you have to hope for. They don't give the ball to anybody else. No more random Juwan Jennings targets. No more use check targets. I think that's what how these guys will get there. Are four of them going to get there every week? No. But I think that's part of the other problem is you look at the Niners usage and it's like Juszczyk gets four targets. Jennings gets four targets. Like that's what's more more annoying when you're only going to pass it. Because I think Ruben would agree. If, if Kyle had it up to 
what he wants every game. It's no, it's not 45 attempts from Jimmy G. It's probably somewhere in the low thirties, you know, like a 24 for 32 type game, you know, and let the yeah. web, but, but if those 32 are spread out six targets to McCaffrey, Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo, pretty good shot that five of them are going to be complete and one or two of them is going to go for a big play. And then maybe two touchdowns between the four. And yeah, that that's going to give you three or four fantasy viable guys, but it just, I think the path is better for the offense to be good, but I think it's also narrower if they become one of these teams that still uses six, seven, eight guys. Cause I think that's the interesting thing is like use checks always been not good enough to start, but annoying enough where he's taking four or five targets a game out of the backfield. Is, are those going to go away because of McCaffrey? Is he going to be on the field much less because of McCaffrey? Or is he going to still be out there? Because I'm guessing, you know, Shanahan sees him as still a chess piece that he can use with McCaffrey out there, you know? Like, it just makes it even harder to defend. So it's more of I don't necessarily trust the concentration versus I think the efficiency and the the overall strength of the offense goes up, which is good for McCaffrey. Because you know what? I'm guessing he's he between the four, he's the best player of the four. So I think that he's going to be less likely to be the one that, oh, he only got three touches in a game. You know what I mean? He's going to get his 10 to 15 touches. You just hope half of those are targets and they're not 13 carries in one target. You know, that's where it's probably going to struggle for him. But I'm guessing he's not going to be the one that gets left out. I, I could probably argue that any of the other three could significantly be impacted on a given week. Like Debo, I wonder if Debo is going to get any carries anymore. Maybe one or two, but I, I doubt he is any of these games where he gets six, seven, eight, nine, ten carries anymore. Why would you do that when you have McCaffrey? You know, he's that he does probably what Debo does, but more versatile. So I think all three of them, Ayuk, Kittle, and Debo, could get left out. But I think it's going to be overall good for the offense. And uh, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on Jimmy G. He feels like a guy, you know, you you might want to buy and just hope that. I mean, he's literally got the best yak weapons in the history of the game, like on one team. Just just get it in their hands at a 75% clip, and I don't see how he's not a top 20 quarterback. But maybe that's me. But I think Jimmy G might be the biggest winner of all this. I think to tend to agree with you there, I mean, Jimmy's always been a high high um, completion percentage guy. Like, he, he gets it there. He does make mistakes, but I do agree. He If he can just get it there, he's got guys that can just – every single one of those guys can take you to the house, Right just on the slant, slant or whatever it is, he, they can just take it home, get him a, t- you know, do it. So I think he is a big winner there. It, it, it'd be somebody that I would, I probably won't buy just because I probably already have enough, enough of him from over the last two years, but I would look at it. If I needed a quarterback in a position, you know, do you want to go get um, Jimmy G or do you want to go get like Gino? Yeah. I know Gino has been kind of blowing up kind of deal, but you can probably get Jimmy a little cheaper and kind of have the same kind of results at the end of the, at the end of the day, just because of his efficiency. Yeah, no, I tend to agree with you guys on this pretty much on all of it. My first thoughts when I saw it was I think it's going to kind of hurt Ayuk a little bit because Jimmy was just throwing to Kittle and Debo so much last year, and he's going to throw it to CMC a lot. So my first initial thoughts was maybe this would hurt Ayuk a little bit more than most. Uh, But I think I agree with Scott too where we don't really know each week who's going to be the main benefactor each week. It could definitely change each week so you know one week it could be Ayuk that's out or Kittle is out Debo is out so I think it's going to probably be like three of them can do good for you every week and the other one is probably gonna be mediocre at best so we'll see how that goes 
um, with those guys. But that's kind of what I was thinking. And then, like, Jawan Jennings, drop. Any of these other guys, receivers, probably a drop. Yeah, Ray uh, Ray, bye-bye. Yeah. Well, something think- interesting is that, like, Jimmy G's average throw a dot last year was actually pretty high. And I wonder if having a guy like McCaffrey occupying – some space underneath or over the middle of the field actually might open up Ayuk in different spots that they didn't open up for him before. Now, now the question is, are they going to allow Jimmy to throw there as much as he has? Like, is he going to throw there more than he did before? You know what I mean? I guess that that's where I would might say Ayuk might only get four or five targets a game, but I think his, his week to week upside might be higher now than what it was before unless it's one of these games like last week where they throw 40 plus times and he just gets, you know, 10 plus targets. But how many times a year does that happen for the Niners? Three or four a year? You know, you can't count on that. So it'll just be interesting if just the overall offense, like I I wonder, I mean, I'm not saying Jimmy G can be like Brady, but I almost wonder if it can be kind of like uh, Tampa Bay was at their peak last year where they had Fournette and Antonio Brown and Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk. And it's like, you just started those guys every week. You know, you, the only difference meaning you knew they were going to throw it 40, 45 times and not try to throw it only 30 times, but kind of the same thing. Like, I just want to start guys from this offense now. So it is interesting. I do think it, it will be very interesting with McCaffrey. Cause I doubt everyone says all they can get out of his contract after this year. Like, well, you don't trade for a guy just to try to get out of his deal. Right. But is, is McCaffrey a sell? right now because i've seen a value bump for him people are excited for this is he a sell now given what you already know about his injury history and all that stuff but is he also a sell for when he might spend the last year or two with san francisco with trey lance does he become a sell then because if we question whether jimmy can support four options i don't think it's realistic to expect trey lance to come back next year and day one he's supporting four options you know plus he's taking probably some more on the ground that Jimmy G won't take. So I wonder if McCaffrey is a sell high. Like if you could get, you know, a 23 first plus another usable running back, are you out on McCaffrey, Eric? Yeah, I would definitely. I mean, he has been a sell for me the entire time. I just, his age, his injury history for me is just a no-go. So yeah, I would definitely sell for that if I could. So if you're a contending team, you would sell him right now if you got a guaranteed top four pick? Oh, yeah. Easy. Okay. Yep. Ruben? So I have that same. I have him on two contending. The two shares or three shares I have are all on contending teams. And I don't know. I don't think I would. That's a tough one because, I mean, he's probably helping you win because he's. He has been. No. For top sure. five running back this year. So it's not like you have him on teams where he hasn't done anything like granted I, on two of those teams. I've won a couple of two years without him and he was on those teams just sitting there. So, but he is competing now and I've kind of built the way I've built those teams now is to, for him to be it. But I also, I also think we can't take too much into consideration what happens this week, obviously. And next week either, because the week after that is their bye week, week nine. And then week 10 would be when we would really see what he's going to be doing, Is my, in my opinion. I think week seven and week eight is going to be packages for him. Uh, 
I didn't get to finish watching the whole press conference that they had this 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 afternoon with Kyle. I listened to John Lynch's and he talked about it's going to be a real chore to get him to play this week, not from a physical standpoint because he did practice twice this week with Carolina, but from a from a knowing where where he needs to be. He is a smart guy or anything like that. He should be be a, but um just to get him down. So I, I think we see him in, you know, five to 10, 15 plays kind of deal this week, possibly all in the red zone, but that's about it. And then probably next week, maybe a little bit more, but where I would look for him to, to make his hay is in week 10 after the bye week So you think they just kind of dabble him in the next week or two, use him in specific packages and then, during the bye week, it's like here, Christian, you got two weeks to learn this entire offense, and then we're 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 yeah. going to you. And you yeah. think when he goes in, he's going to be a eighty plus percent snap share guy? Like he's, I, I think so. I mean, Elijah Mitchell's supposed to be back after the bye in week ten as well, but um, but I don't. You're not going to put him on the field over CMC, right? Um, there's there is no physical limitations on CMC right now, so it's all going to be about him downloading the playbook. Um, and understanding the, you know, just understanding the offense. It's known to be a very difficult offense, but let's be honest too, running backs, we see they're the ones that get plugged in, played as rookies a lot easier than any other position, right? So it's, he should be fine in two weeks, kind of deal. We're two days away from him playing. He, if he plays, I say he plays, you know, north of 10 plays on on Sunday, then yeah, we're going to see it going to go a little bit more the next week. And then by week 10, I think we see him be 75, 80% snap share. You think they can use, basically they're going to be using Elijah Mitchell to kind of absorb some of the work that they don't want to give McCaffrey to like, he's kind of just going to be the sacrificial lamb or whoever they have out there. Yeah. Like at this point, none, none of the, whether it's Jeff Wilson, TDP, Elijah Mitchell, like they're just going to be the ones that kind of take the punishment so that McCaffrey can eat on the yep. high leverage plays, which yep. is probably smart. If you have a guy like that and you know, you're telling, you're telling me you can get him 15 touches for the next two or three years, but 10 of those are going to be like in really, really high leverage situations. Like I'd much rather have that than, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing him get 18 carries straight ahead against with the Panthers. You know what I mean? Like why, what's yeah. the point? So it's, it's a very, going to be very interesting to see how they, uh, they and they don't they don't run like straight up the middle either here. So uh, San Francisco, it's it's you know more zone run, so it's a little more outside kind of deal. So I, I you know he, I think he's tailor made for this kind of offense, right? And uh, they've everybody talks about oh they brought on all these running backs, they brought on all these running backs, but they've never had anybody that has the the patch casting ability that they like him, right? They tried to do it on a cheap with McKinnon way back when they first got here. And then that never ended up, ended up materializing because he got hurt. And I'm not saying they're the same at all. I'm just saying they were thought about using somebody like that out of the backfield. And now they have that. So it's going to be interesting. I'm excited as a fan to see it. I don't care. I, I'm also really happy to see the aggressiveness from the front office slash head coach to go after and do something like this. Um, and just, make something, make a splash play in this, you know, they made the splash play going for Lance, but this is a different kind of a splash play. I don't look at, you can't also look at 
McCaffrey as just a running back, right? We, we say, oh, we don't pay up. You shouldn't be paying for running backs. You can't look at him just as a running back just because of the amount of receiving work he does do, right? So he's a different player. They get they have to scheme him. He's not your undrafted free agent running back. He's Christian McCaffrey. You do have to pay attention to him a little bit more. Eric, what's this do for the everybody else? I mean, even your guy, Elijah. Yeah. Yeah, that was my one of my next things I wanted to bring up with you guys was what does this do for all the pieces basically involved uh, around these guys? So if you're looking at Elijah Mitchell, you're looking at Jeff Wilson, Tevin Coleman, TDP, who just got drafted there, uh, Jordan Mason, who was pretty much a uh, – a preseason darling for them kind of what does it do for those guys and just thinking about it out loud um you know jeff wilson i think he still is going to be there he's going to be involved he's pretty much been there since shanahan is there he's done really well for them i don't think it you know he'll be the third third running back for them maybe get a carrier to here elijah mitchell I mean, I think they're going to keep him, but he's going to have to. I wouldn't even be shocked if there's some weeks where he's just inactive um, because they're going to want to use a third running back on special teams. And that third running back could be there. And I think Jeff Wilson could be the guy who's be the second running back and where Elijah ends up being inactive. So I'm a little bit afraid of that. If I can get, you know, if somebody's offering me a second for Elijah Mitchell right now, he's gone. I don't think anybody's offering you a second for Elijah Mitchell, but if they are, I'm sending him off. I don't know if I'd do it for a third. I'd probably just hang on to him if somebody was offering me just a third. I'll I'll eat the roster spot and just see what happens there. And then TDP, man, that's, that's the one I wanted to ask you guys about, like, what do you, what do you do with TDP? I mean, obviously you can't trade them. Nobody's going to buy them off of you. I mean, if you can get a third form, would you just go ahead and sell them? And then Jordan Mason, I think Jordan Mason's probably just a cut. I think he's, he's too far behind right now. And then obviously Tevin Coleman's a cut. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they've got rid of uh, Tevin Coleman. Yeah. I was going to say I, they have to cut somebody. I'm guessing I think they're not going to keep five running backs. So I'm guessing they would probably, try to send Tevin Coleman like back to the practice squad. Cause I'm guessing Mason might get claimed if they tried to waive him, but you don't know. But I think, yeah, they uh, like, honestly, you probably look at these guys and say, is it just a, a, a Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard situation on a better team where you have to roster the backups because of McCaffrey's injury history, but they're not worth anything. They're worth something when the injury happens, but that's it. And what are most one injury away guys worth in leagues? Like if you want to buy them from me before the injury occurs, you have to pay a third and we'll reassess when the injury happens, what the price would be on like the weekly market basis. You see some guys going for thirds. I think it was also fair if you wanted a, a second for Eno Benjamin, if you wanted a second for Jamal Williams, if you wanted a second for Daryl Henderson, like, I think those were at not unfair asking prices. You weren't getting those, but that's probably what they were worth. I, I don't think anyone was selling, you know, Jamal Williams for three spot starts for a third because we would have bought them all and played them. You know what I mean? So I think they just become like they're in that tier where as long as they're on the Niners team, you have to keep them on your dynasty roster. But yeah, like 
pre-injury, they're just basically backups now. You have to kind of forget that Elijah Mitchell was a good running back last year because you have to completely reframe it. So I think that that's where you, if you can sell for, like, let me ask you this, Ruben, would you take two thirds for Elijah Mitchell? Probably. I, I, I want to say no, but I probably would just because here's the thing. I'm honestly hoping they don't come. He doesn't come back off of IR so that I don't have to worry about it. Um, Cause he's all on my, all my, all my IR spots. Um, and then I'll have to make a roster decision. Um, but cause that's the thing right now, he is not a thought in our head because he's just off an IR. We're not having to worry about putting him in the roster and that kind of stuff. So come week 10, if he does come back week 10, or do we have to, you know, what are you going to do? Do you can take two thirds, do you take two thirds at that time? Cause you don't have to, you don't have to cut somebody else. So I, I, but the other part of it is, you know, CMC's history too, right? And San Francisco's history with running backs and injuries, you know, they, so I want to say no, I wouldn't take two thirds, but push them to shove probably. Well, and it's always been one of those backfields where I think people have overrated the depth pieces as well in terms of what they're worth to the point where like you may not be able to sell them for more than what they're worth, but if you have them on your roster, they're worth more to you to have than when somebody comes to you and goes, here, let me give you the clear, let me give you a third for the clear number two on San Francisco. A lot of years you would have been like, nah, I'll hold on to that guy for a third. If it was another team, you might go, okay, I'll take the third. So I think that's an, another interesting thing is it's still a system where whoever's up probably is usable whenever there's an injury, if McCaffrey gets hurt. But I think to Eric's point, like they have three legitimate guys that they could turn to over the next year or two to fill that role. Probably not Jeff Wilson after this year, but yeah, even then, like, done. yeah, even then, like, we don't know. They brought Jeff Wilson back a couple times when you didn't think they would and they did. So I don't know. I mean, I assume you're taking the thirds, right, Eric? And just hoping you can buy something else with those later and just kind of wash your hands of it. It's just take it as a loss. You got your, you got your worth out of Jeff Wilson and Elijah Mitchell, right? You got your spot starts from them. Right. And then you also get the free roster spot to go pick up somebody else too. So you're getting that, that player plus the two thirds at that point, I probably would do it. Yeah. As much as it it would suck, but I still think Elijah is super talented. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you, Eric. I think me and you have been two of the biggest fans of Elijah since he came into the league and had a lot of shares, both of us. And so, but somebody sends me a second. I mean, I'm smash accepting that. I, I don't think that's happening. If I can get a second and and somebody even better, but a third, I'm probably holding off, especially right now when he's not really taking up any space on my team. Um I'll hold on to that. If you send me two thirds, I probably would consider doing that just because I, I don't have to worry about that roster spot in two to three weeks kind of deal. Um, I assume I you take the second and third swap. You give a third and Elijah for a second. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I know Eric likes to do those moves. If you can't get the second straight up, you'd rather have the second upgrade pick than the yeah. two, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially if I'm, it's a contending team I've got, right? And it's my own third. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would definitely do that. So I don't know. I've got like six or seven Elijah shares. So cried a little bit about it, but not too much. So real quick, I wanted to ask Eric this. Where do you slot in Jimmy G? Yeah, that was actually my next question too. So with Jimmy G, I think for the rest of the season, man, would you rather have him or Brady? 
I mean, it's good. I think it's a lot closer than, you know, previously thought. So I think Jimmy G probably moves up for the rest of the year. He's, for me, he's probably like in the 15 to 16 range in there, like him or Stafford. Like I'd probably rather have Jimmy G over Stafford right now with the way Stafford's been playing. So, yeah, I think Jimmy G's moves up quite a bit. I don't, I highly doubt he's their quarterback next year. Um, that was only one, I only see that happening one way. Is if they win the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. If they win it and he's an integral part, like he's not doing like they did last time in the playoffs where he's just eight passes kind of deal. But if he's like, there's a chance, there's a pretty good chance they bring him back. They could try to bring him back. I know that there's, he's been an optimal team guy kind of deal. I I don't know what the relationship's like in in general, but I could, that's the only way I see it happening. How do you look at it? My only pushback on that is if he wins the Super Bowl, he's getting Kirk Cousins plus money. He's getting 40 million a year. And I just don't see San Francisco paying that. Right. I I, I, I can, I see exactly what you're saying. I said that's, but that's the only way I see it happening. Right. So you're not, you don't know, I guess. If he were to win the Super Bowl, is there that potential that he goes, you know what, let's run this back for two more years and I'll take a kind of a, not a team-friendly deal, but I'm not going to gouge you on the open market and basically wait to hit free agency. Like, I'll give you a shot if you give me something that's, you know, in the the Kirk uh, Cousins range, like a two-year, 60 million, fully guaranteed type deal where that might be the play from Jimmy G. I don't need 40-plus million. Give me thirty million, but fully guarantee it for two years, which means I'm not sitting behind Trey Lance. You know, right. you're not paying me thirty-five mil guaranteed both years to to sit the bench. Yeah, so I think that maybe that's how he plays hardball. That was the same contract Bridgewater got from Carolina. It was two years, sixty mil. It wasn't fully guaranteed, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like a two-year, um, sixty million dollar deal, something like that for Jimmy G. But Teddy's deal was fake. His second year was a fake. This is a, I'll take a pay cut, but it's fully guaranteed, which means you either eat, you know, 30 mil a year and you can't get around it. Or if you want to do that, sure. But you can start Trey Lance over me, but I'm still getting every penny. You know what I mean? It isn't this, well, if you're not the starter, then maybe we'll think about restructuring you or cutting you or trading you, you know? Like that, I think it, he puts the feet to the fire that you're committing to me if I would consider resigning there, which wouldn't wouldn't that be crazy for fantasy? Yeah, that that I mean, would it, that would be nuts. The reason, you know, one of the other reasons they did this is look at the NFC right now. It is seriously wide open behind the Eagles. I think the Eagles are the number one team, and then behind that, it's who's who. You know, so San Francisco made the first move and maybe the best move out of everybody to where they could be the number two team. They got a really good defense when they're healthy. They're starting to get healthy again. Trent Williams is going to play this week, so that's good. Their offensive line is going to start to get healthy. As long as they can avoid the blue tent, you know, like they've uh, had the last couple years, I think San Francisco can definitely give Philadelphia a run for their money to go to the Super Bowl this year in the NFC. Yeah, interesting. This it, this is a very dy- very dynamic move that uh, could have a lot of ripple effects going forward for fantasy. So it'll be fun to track. Right. My my other question was, what is does this do anything for Trey Lance for you and his value for you know thinking about next year and having McCaffrey on his team and having that threat back there with him? I don't think it changes his outlook. I think his outlook is just what Ruben said. Like there's still a 
slim chance that Jimmy G's back. But it, but if Jimmy G were to come back in any capacity, it crushes Trey Lance. I think we agree with that. There isn't a, yep. a path where he re-signs knowing the situation and is not re-signing to be the guaranteed starter. I, so I, I just don't see it. So traded, I, maybe, if it happens. Yeah, that like there there isn't really a path where he shows up to be the backup again. So, I mean, yep. I don't think it changes Lance. I think if you're betting on Lance before, you're still betting on him to the same degree that you were before this trade. So it just... The only danger is like if they're really good, like Ruben said, it changes the, you know, if if they were to win a Super Bowl without Trey Lance, it might make me think, you know what, maybe we don't have to go all in on Trey Lance. You know what I mean? Like maybe he isn't the secret sauce that is going to unlock the next level. It's like really the next level was becoming a little more versatile on offense and we can, you know, go go get somebody else. We don't need it to be Trey Lance, you know? The only thing he does if, if, if they – Jimmy was to come back next year. It really is going to change that whole team in general, just because they were banking on a couple more years of a cheap quarterback deal to get right. Bosa to get Bosa signed, and they've got Ayuk coming up. And luckily, they've missed on a few other first round picks. But <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's I'm ho- I'm hoping we're having this conversation. You know, in uh, six months from now. That you know, Jimmy's won the the Super Bowl, and I'm happy to come on and talk about it at that time and see what's going on. But there's a lot of a lot of bridges that need to be crossed for that to happen. It's a pie in the sky kind of stuff. But I, I don't really, I don't think it's it happens in general that the kind of deal they have to win for that to happen. And even then, it's still going to be a, a tough tough one to do. Yep. All right, so let's look at it from the other side real quick here. The Carolina backfield now. So obviously this year we're going to have just Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Raheem Blackshear, and Spencer Brown they have on their practice squad. I mean, I think the, these guys are – if there's a new regime coming in, which I likely think is going to happen, a, totally a new GM, a new coach, like – I don't know how this GM even survives this one either, to be honest. I know he's making all these trades and stuff to get this extra capital, but I think it's just for the next GM, to be honest, because that's going to be an attractive job with all this draft capital and probably a top three draft pick, if not the first overall pick. So I think that's going to be a really attractive job for like one of the top GM candidates. So I think that this GM is going to be gone too. So I don't think any of these running backs kind of – they might make the roster, but I don't think they're going to be any significant pieces. So if I can get any kind of trades done for Foreman, Chuba, Blackshear, um, any of those guys, I'm trading them. Would you guys do the same, I'm, I'm guessing? Yeah, I mean, these these guys are – I mean, we joked before the season, that this is a 31-man league now, and the Panthers are the one that's out. It's not the so like Seahawks here. Yeah, as as excited as I am to have a new running back that could step in and potentially be a spot starter on some of these like bare ass zero RB teams, I'm not even excited to start a Panther, even if I know which Panther to start. Like right now, it's going to take at least a week to figure out who do you want. Right. Second of all, they're lowest in the league in terms of plays per game. Their time of possession is at the bottom. Like there, it, it's literally one of those situations where like you really don't even want any players because of the way that they're going to play and how bad their offense is going to be in general. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's almost like even if you told me it's going to be a De- Deontay Foreman spot start, I don't even want that spot start because it's the lowest quality one you could get. Yeah, I, I agree. I've got him. In, I've got 
several shares of him and I've put him all on the block for a third, first spot start kind of deal. And honestly, in the leagues that I am not contending in, and then it's points per uh, potential points. If I don't get anything for him on Sunday, I'm cutting him. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm just not going to take the points. I'm, I don't, and I don't care. And I can pick him. I can probably pick him right back up on, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, he's the kind of guy like we talked about last week where you actually trade him to the other bad teams in the league and see if they'll take him for free. Mm-hmm. Right. Because <laughs> he'll add to their potential points. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm, pro- I'm going to look at doing that kind of deal. Just go offer him yeah. for $10, $15 from Fab. Yeah. Yep. Smart. Yep. I think I think we're looking at first and second downs going to be Foreman and third downs are going to be Chuba. That's kind of what I'm expecting. But I think Blackshear is going to have a chance to to take the third down rule at some point too because he showed really well in the preseason with Buffalo this year. He had a couple uh, really good preseason games. So that's another guy. He might be out there for free for you. You can just pick him up and see what happens, and then maybe eventually he takes over the third down role, and he becomes somebody that you can trade for one of those third round picks. Just take that profit. Um, I'm sure Scott agrees. I know Scott has a ton of him. He's picked him up. I mean, he's the one that I would want in maybe four weeks when Darnold comes back, and they actually have like some semblance of a passing offense potentially. Like he'll be the one that I could see. Oh wow, he had five catches, and that came out of nowhere. You know, and then it's like the other two are just there getting some touches. But I think I could just see him. He's the one with the path where I could go in a month. He's, you know, catching four or five balls a game. And you're going, oh, okay, interesting. He's like borderline usable because I just don't think the other ones are are going to be usable at all. So, yeah, he's the one I'll stash and we'll see. He's not going to probably get much run right away because he hasn't been there for that long. And he's clearly behind the other two. But, yeah, to give it. Basically, while it's the PJ Walker Panthers, literally just don't put any players in on the team. Forget that they exist until Darnold comes back and maybe they put up a fight in a couple games. But yeah, I'll give me Blackshear. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. He's probably a free pickup pretty much in all of your leagues right now. So if you can get Raheem Blackshear, I definitely would pick him up. Just stash him and see what happens. Unless you're in one of our leagues, because I think between Scott and I and you, we probably already grabbed them all. Right, right. Literally, yes. I think between us, we probably have over 30 shares. I think I I went from zero to 12 last night when the trade happened. Yeah, see, I was in bed by then, so I didn't get to pick up any of it. So it happens when you live in the Midwest, bud. Yeah, what's up with these like 1130 at night trades? Like, what the hell? I live in the Midwest. I was up at one o'clock picking up some black shears. Yeah. Come on, Eric. You need to grind, dude. If you want to get ahead of the zero RB game, you need to wake your ass up. <laughs> this, yeah, this is the one where I was like, sleep is way more important to me than picking up fucking Raheem Blackshear. So that's like <laughs> no, uh, I got nice. 15. Ruben's got 12. So Eric's the one that's going to get squeezed out when this is the next Naheem Hines. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll give you guys a fifth for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, then the other part that we wanted to get into is the warp data again that Dynasty Barry is doing for us. Uh, Barry's been doing an awesome job with this. So a couple episodes ago, I think it was after week two, uh, we talked about we'll look back more into the warp data um, after a month. So here it is. We're going to get back into it again. So 
Quarterbacks, I'm going to go over the top 10 again here real quick. Top 10 right now is Josh Allen at 4.86. Patrick Mahomes, 3.70. Lamar Jackson, 3.36. Jalen Hurts, 307. Joe Burrow, 281. Geno Smith, 193. Kyler Murray, uh, 183. Justin Herbert, 173. Carson Wentz, still up there at 1.5. And Jared Goff at 1.45. So that's pretty much the top 10 right now. Um, You know, of the difference makers pretty much at this position, I'd say you probably have seven or eight. And then after, you know, Carson, I would say Carson Wentz and down here, I think most of these guys are pretty much replaceable for me even though it's showing that they have a little bit of a positive warp right now. But I think you got Josh Allen, you got Mahomes, you got Lamar, you got Jalen, you got Burrow. Those guys are making the difference for you on your teams. Is there anybody on the, on this list that, you know, kind of surprises you guys at all? Well, I'll just say, I mean, obviously if you look at this and you'll go over the other positions, like the, the data is reflecting that the, you know, the quarterback warp is, greater than the other positions. And we're using a start 10, six minus two scoring. So it's a slightly higher than if you're using like a four minus one or a four minus two, right? So it's six point passing touchdowns, but it just kind of shows you like if you built your team and you have a team, and I think you, you both can relate to this. If you have a team that has like, you know, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, like it's probably in the mix just because you have those two, you know, you've started them every week. You're never starting you know, uh, your third quarterback over them, unless they're on a buy and you're just playing them every week. There is no streaming. There is no playing matchups. It's like, I'll just eat the games that maybe they don't score a lot, but I'm going to hit every game where they're, you know, 30 plus points. Uh, and it's reflecting like, it, just look at your teams. You know, if you have any combination of, I mean, hell you even throw in Kyler and Justin Herbert, who I think the community is thinking going oh man, they're not as good as they need to be. Right but they're still in the top eight. So like, if you just take the, the way we were probably building teams, Allen, Mahomes, Lamar, Hertz, Burrow, Kyler, Justin Herbert. I mean, I probably have 12 teams that have a combo of those two, you know? And like those, those teams are, they're in the mix. They might not be six and oh, or five and one, but I guarantee they're three and three or four and two or better. Like that, like that's not where the bottom teams are coming from period. And I think it's the same when you get to some of the other positions, you know, like, People ask me all the time, what would you trade like Cooper Cup for? You know what I mean? It's like, it's hard because like every team Cooper Cup's on is like fucking five and one or six and oh, you know what I mean? Like there's, you don't ever see like a, a De- Stefan Diggs or Cooper Cup team. That's like one in five, like that's rare. So I think this just kind of reflects of the, uh, the strategy of building behind those elite quarterbacks. And I think you probably feel it on the other end too. Like you're, uh, you know, your, your Matt Stafford, Russ Wilson teams, because you've probably started those guys. Right. Uh, what? Every single week and they're not helping you. Those are the teams that are sucking regardless of who else you have. So I think that's my early takeaway uh, looking at the quarterbacks. Those definitely stand out. I mean, Stafford with a negative warp. Woof. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Um, and then this also takes an effect to, um, if they didn't play that week, they just take the zero on that. So like Tua has obviously missed two games. That's why his warp is so low on this right now because they just put him in as a zero for that week, unfortunately. Otherwise, Tua would probably be in the like top 15 at least, I would bet. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I think... 
Tua's one. I mean, look at Marcus Mariota, 1.11, and you're like, God, I don't even want to play that guy in, you know, my fantasy roster spot throwing, you know, 14 times a game or whatever right now. So I think that one was a little interesting to me that Mariota was so high, almost in the top 12. I mean, for fantasy, he's been pretty good. He's been like 17 points yeah. a game. Like, he's not killing you. No. Just the volume isn't there. Right. I'd rather vote. I would think a guy like Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers would be higher than him. I think Garoppolo definitely has a chance to ascend um, up this, you know, like we talked about earlier as well. So I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mariota and Garoppolo flop spots by the end of the year. Well, and Jimmy's got a couple games where he didn't play because Lance played. Like Carr has a bye. Right. There's a couple bye weeks that are mixed into here. You'll have to kind of wait till we get into the bye weeks. You know, after this, it'll see how, you know, what is Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts' numbers go down to. You know, I think yeah. there's probably a way we can tweak that to account for the bye weeks. But, yeah, I mean, that's my takeaways from the quarterbacks. I mean, you clearly can spot the ones that have been hurting you. Um, And I think the, the – the ones that are hurting you the most is kind of like what we talk about sometimes with the other positions, especially running backs, like a guy, for instance, like Davis mills, hasn't necessarily been hurting you because probably if he's one of your starters, you're probably not planning to contend and, or he's your third quarterback to begin with. So you're not starting him every week. So I think the ones that feels the worst are for me, Rogers, Russ Wilson, Stafford, like those guys you thought were locked in starters every week and you've probably played them every week. And that's where it's hurt you because you're not getting anything from. Them. What about you, Ruben? Did you see anything on the quarterback warp that interested you? Uh, on the top ones, you know, not really. I know Gino's up there high, but he has been playing well. Kind of, I think, I guess seeing Matt Ryan as high as he is, it's kind of a surprise, even though he's not like super high, but he's just, I mean, he's just under one, but I, I would have thought he'd be further down under and be negative in that same Matthew Stafford range, you know, kind of deal. So, but other than that, you know, I think Brissett is kind of interesting there. He has done exactly what, what we thought he would do is just keep us alive. If you have a Watson share kind of deal. So that's worked out pretty well, I think for you. Um, I'm with Scott though. The ones that I've killed you and I've seen in my leagues that I have these guys is Rogers and Russ and Stafford are really the ones that have just just killed you because you look at them and and you have a hard time not clicking start on them when you shouldn't be probably doing it. Right. Rogers, you can probably get away with it more than the other ones, but Stafford is, I saw a stat that he has in since last year, he has nine pick sixes and the next closest one has four. I mean, it's, it's, so it's, it's bad. It's bad. So those are the ones that are hurting. And I don't, other than Jimmy G and Tua that are down low, those are the only ones I really see that have a chance coming up higher. Right. And getting in that top 15 ish range. I could see, Jimmy and uh, to uh, replacing Marcus Mariota and Matt Ryan right there at like 14, 15. Right. And then also Dak is way down there. He'll obviously yep. move up to after his injuries. He's just way down there because of uh, taking the zeros the first couple of weeks there. Yep. Well, this is interesting too, because think 
I don't think we appreciate how bad Stafford has been for fantasy. In a six-point passing, he's scoring 13 points per game. Like he, I mean, at least Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers are close to 17. Like it's a big gap. Like Stafford is not producing in any realm and he's thrown, you know, the, the most interceptions in the league and he's not putting up the volume stats that would be able to offset that, you know? So it's, it's, I can definitely see why Stafford's where he is because he's, he's been far worse than even Matt Ryan, which is crazy. Cause from a real life perspective, we blame Matt Ryan as like, Oh, he's done. He's cooked. He needs to retire. And then Stafford it's, well, it's gotta be his offensive line. You know, it's not his fault because he won the Super Bowl last year. Keep in mind, he threw 17 interceptions last year and he was bad for most of it. So we'll see if it turns around, but I'm not too confident. All right. We're going to move on to the running backs now. So the top running back right now at a 2.92 is Austin Eckler. Next up, Saquon Barkley, 2.46. Nick Chubb, 2.26. Christian McCaffrey, a 2.25. Leonard Fournette, a 2.02. Brees Hall, 1.62. Josh Jacobs, 1.37. Derrick Henry, 1.27. Ramondre Stevenson, 1.10. And Miles Sanders at 10th. Um, at 105. So for the running backs, I mean, it's pretty much a lot of the names that you think that would be up there. There isn't too many of um, guys that are down on this list. I think, you know, Dalvin Cook's right there. Joe Mixon's 12th. Uh, Damian Pierce is 15th. That's nice to see. I think the only big ones that I could see are like Camara's way down because he did miss a couple games. So that didn't help. Najee's down here a little bit. Um, yeah, there's not too many like difference making running backs right now. After you know, Joe Mixon is not even uh, above a one right now. He's at point nine eight, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire point nine eight. So you really see the difference making running backs. There's only like right now ten of them in the league, if that. So that was kind of my big takeaway is there's just not many difference making running backs right now that we're seeing. Yeah, and I think so. The only flaw with this type of warp data is once you get to a certain point at running backs and probably it's outside of the top, I don't know, 25 to 30 or something like that, you start to get into, well, obviously some of these players are going to have lower warps. Somebody like Eno Benjamin or Daryl Henderson or someone like that, Jeff Wilson, because of the fact that Really, you have to adjust warps for players like that because you're going to have a better idea of when to start them. This is where being able to correlate the warp and doing like an adjusted warp based on like their start percentage is a little more valuable because once you start getting into the range, like you mentioned, like when I look at this data, I look at the guys from like Dalvin Cook and, and below, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara, Travis Etienne, AJ Dillon. Those are the ones that have been the the ones that are hurting you, right? Like those are the guys that you're starting every week because of their name cachet. Ezekiel Elliott, you can throw in there as well. Like those are the ones that you're starting every week because of their name cachet. You know, if you have Joe Mixon on your roster, you're starting him every single week that he's there yet. He's not really helping you. 
Whereas you get down a little bit lower and you're like, all right, well, some of these guys' warps are not really any higher, but that's because you weren't starting them. You're only starting Eno Benjamin when you knew to start him. So like if you adjust to the warp based on like what his start percentage was, because I'm guessing in a non-James Conner injury week or a non-Daryl Williams injury week, Eno Benjamin's start percentage is at the very bottom. It might even be close to zero, you know? But like this week, it's probably in the 70s, in the 80s, depending on where you look. So you have to kind of wait this week higher versus all the other weeks where he was a zero. It doesn't even count. So I think that's where you have to really look at running backs and look at the warp data because it's it should be more adjusted to start percentage at running back versus some of these other guys. Quarterbacks, it's usually in super flex, you're starting the same quarterbacks every single week. There's not a lot of options where at running backs there is. So I think that's the only takeaway from this is, you know, I can I can see where the difference makers would probably be the guys that are above two warp thus far. So McCaffrey, Chubb, Barkley, Eckler, Fournette, maybe throw in Brees Hall, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. Below that though, it's where you see the really high valued names like Dalvin and Mixon and Zeke and Najee, Kamara, Etienne, Dylan. Those are the ones that have actually been killing people. So it's a little misleading. No, but I agree with that. You know, you got maybe Sanders, you can throw in the difference maker just because you weren't expecting it out of him, you know, because we were thought, oh, he's probably not going to do anything. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at, like you're saying about, you know, you know, on a non Connor Williams week, his start percentage should be zero, not, you know, so, but yeah, those, I totally agree with everything you're saying there. I mean, the one I think that's killing you the worst though, out of all these guys, and I don't know if you mentioned this, but is Najee, right? It's like we had Najee and the community had him in top five and he's sitting there at 20, whatever, you know, right around 20, 23. And so 22, yeah, that's the one that's hurting you bad. Yeah. You, you really need to find a way to correlate the, not only the, cause this is just pure season long warp value. And basically that's being divided by the weeks that we've played thus far. Right. So whatever their, their warp for the season is d- divided by their games played. That's what you're getting out of this, but you really need to kind of adjust that to it running back, especially their market value or their acquisition cost along with if you're going to use a 12 team start 10, that's probably going to be two running backs. And then every once in a while, there's going to be one that's in the flex. So across the league, there's probably, I don't know, somewhere between like 25 to 29 running backs started on average per week in a given league ish, maybe around 30. But once you get past that point, you kind of have to look at the start rates of these guys in those leagues, because it's really unfair to penalize certain running backs because they're not getting opportunity. Like, for instance, Eno Benjamin has played in every game this year. But clearly in some of those games, he wasn't startable. He was the number two running back or he was just active and getting two or three touches. You would have never expected him to deliver any warp in those games, which is also going to lower his market value. He's going to lower his, lower his acquisition cost. So you really have to find a way to kind of use these running backs and measure their start rate and their valuation plus their warp. And that's kind of going to give you like, what is their overall value? And I guarantee you, like Ruben said, the one that's going to come out the lowest is going to be Najee because you've probably played him every week. His warp is at the bottom and he was the highest valued going in. So like bang for your buck, he's killed you the most. Whereas someone like Zeke probably has killed you, but he hasn't killed you at the same cost or the same trade-off that Najee has. You could basically get the same results from both of them and which one was, you know, one cost three times more than the other going into the season. 
I think that's where you kind of have to look at this a little differently than some of the other positions, but. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, you know, another one with the running backs too, that I look at, you look at the top warp guys, that's all the pass catching guys. It's Eckler, it's Barkley, it's CMC. I mean, Chubb's up there, but he's just having a super efficient season. A lot of the top pass catching running backs are always going to be at the top of this warp chart. So, you know, if you're going to a contender right now and you want to make a move for uh, one of these top running backs to get them on your team for the stretch run, those are the guys I want to target. I want to target Barkley. I want to target Eckler. I want to target CMC because of their pass catching ability. I'm sure you guys agree with that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah and sure. I, I think the other one is that stands out to me is we've knocked him because he's in a quote-unquote committee. But there's only been one week where Ramondre's had the whole backfield to himself, and he's in the top 10. Right. So like, this data says you should be probably paying his market price regardless of whether Damian Harris exists or not. Hmm. So he's the guy, now that Harris is supposed to be back, he's the guy you got to go get right now because his value, perceived value, is going to drop a little bit because Harris is back. Well, even if you remove last week though, he probably is still in the, you know, the Aaron Jones, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Jamal Williams, Damian. He's still in that like second tier, even without last week's numbers. So it kind of tells me like, he's going to be knocked. I agree, Ruben. He's going to be knocked down a peg. Maybe you don't buy him right now because I think people are still wondering if Damian Harris is actually going to come back and be healthy. But if they come back and it's a 50-50 split again and Harris gets 15 touches, I think you can justify going and buying Ramondre or at least pivoting down to Ramondre for one of these quote-unquote higher-valued running backs. Like I remember uh, David Gutierrez's thread right after Damian Harris's injury. Uh, he goes, I'd rather have Ramondre Stevenson than Najee Harris in Dynasty. That people were giving him hell. Like there's no way. But like, is it that crazy? Oh, is no. it that is it that crazy to say like they're kind of oh, wow. there? I I think you'd rather have Najee on your roster for like the off season value potential bounce back. But like right now, is it that crazy if you could get a couple thirds with Ramondre to give away Najee? Like I think you'd probably do it. We would, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't have any Najee left? But yeah, yeah. I think I have a couple, but it's on point per carry teams, but. That's kind of the only reason I'm still holding him. And this is PPR because you're right. You have you have guys like Mixon or Henry on like point per carry. Like they're hard to trade. Yeah, it's hard to trade those guys. You know, are getting a shit ton of touches. Like that. That's where definitely this warp data is skewed. So, I mean, I I traded uh, a Derrick Henry yesterday for a 2024 first in a point per carry league. So I would just got out on it. I'll take the 2024 first. So that's sure. kind of what I, I'd be looking for. But. Well, well, Ruben, I know you got to get going here in a minute, man. I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, Always good to have you on and talk to you, man. You've been one of my uh, better friends that I've met in the community over the last couple of years. So always good to have you on, man. And you had me on your uh, podcast before the season as well. So I appreciate that. Uh, So I just want to give you time to plug your Twitter and uh, plug your podcast, man. Well, appreciate it again. Appreciate for the invite. Sorry, I've got to cut it short, but family stuff got to get taken care of here. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed talking this. always enjoy talking shop with you guys. You guys are, are always some get to the guys that I, if I've got questions that I go to um, it, about something, 
Um, Scott and I have spent hours on end on uh, Zoom chats about stuff and teams and and such. So uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you guys about this stuff. This stuff is uh, kind of where I get my my addiction stuff is talking about this kind of stuff. So again, I'm uh, Ruben Almada at Superflex Degen on Twitter. My podcast is at Coast to Coast Dynasty Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at C to C Dynasty Pod. Um, and then my co-host is Justin Mercer. So he's at C2C Dynasty Merce. Uh, we just had a pod drop yesterday. So look for that. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully you guys will have me back at some time. Uh, uh, and uh, we can chop it up some more. But this is some good stuff. I think that I haven't looked too much into this warp stuff. You guys have been talking about it quite a bit in, in the DNC and, and elsewhere. So this is something I really need to incorporate into my... Uh, my teams and when I'm looking at making some trades, especially when we're going, 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 going for it. Right. I think there's a lot to be, a lot of a leverage to be gained from this stuff. Good stuff, man. Ruben, thanks for having, uh, thanks for coming on. Been fun, man. Appreciate it guys. Have a good see you. Yep. See you. Ruben. All right. So let's get into uh, the wide receiver warp data. So top 10 on here, pretty much the who's who of fantasy football right now. Cooper Cup at a 3.19. Stephon Diggs, 3.12. Tyreek Hill, 2.51. Justin Jefferson, 2.48. Uh, Hollywood Brown, 1.7. Obviously, that's going to drop. Uh, Jamar Chase, 1.63. Devontae Adams, still at a 1.34. Jalen Waddle, 1.28. A.J. Brown, 1.15. And Debo Samuel at a point nine nine. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much the who's who of fantasy wide receivers right now. I don't think there's maybe CD Lamb is going to crack up into here uh, shortly. Michael Pittman, if he keeps getting the volume, I think he could crack up into that top 10. But, yeah, pretty much the standard top 10 of who I would think it would be, you know, kind of going into the season. Not too many surprises. No, there isn't. And honestly, like it almost reads kind of like what the top you know, 10 to 20 and ADP looks like essentially there's some names up there that are clearly devalued in dynasty because they're, you know, they're older and their, their value has already plateaued, but even you have like Michael Pittman, 14, you have T Higgins, 27, Amon Ram St. Brown, 23. Like those guys are right up in that second tier, tier two and wide receivers, but they've obviously had a couple games where they've been hurt or they've been a, on a bye week. So like it, they're they're not going to be as high, but they're it almost just literally talks about the getting into that first or second tier. We've talked about that a lot on the Discord this past week. Of like once you get to those top ten to twelve, fifteen receivers, after that is start to where you starting to where you get into a lot of the week to week variance, right? For the most part, like you have once you hit that breaking point. I mean, you see names in here that start to populate and you're like, geez, we've never valued that guy in Dynasty. You know, we've never valued Devin Duvernay much in Dynasty. We've never valued Alan Lazard much in Dynasty. You know, we don't value some of these receivers that are, even if they haven't given you a ton of warp, a lot of that, I mean, if you have a zero warp, that basically tells me you've had some games where you've done nothing. But then you've had some games where you were usable, right? Mm -hmm. So like you have guys like Tyler Boyd or... Josh Reynolds or Corey Davis, like they're right there. Josh Palmer, Zay Jones. 
like they're right in there. And then you go down way below that. Then you start getting into the names where it's like, geez, you might've been starting these guys. And you have to also look at the guys that have played every game too. But you yeah. go down, you go down to a point where number 54 stands out as a big negative. He stands out. Uh, another one that stands out. That's DJ Moore that Eric's speaking of another one that stands out that people might've stopped starting after three or four weeks. But how about number 77? Uh, yeah. Elijah Moore. Yep. People were starting him definitely to start the season. You definitely started him at least the first month. Maybe you've backed off in the last week or two since, uh, you've kind of seen what Zach Wilson is, but you yep. know, there's some guys down in that range where you're like, geez, if I, if you're down in the fifties or sixties, but you've been being jammed into lineups. So people that have been starting George Pickens all year, people that have been starting DJ Moore all year, Alan um, Robinson, Allen Robinson's down there. Um, you know, Chris Godwin, I know he missed a couple games, so I don't think you can count him, but Brandon cooks, surprisingly for a guy that everyone's touted as all oh, Eric, Brandon cooks is just going to be a wide receiver too every year. I don't yeah. know about that. Like this might be the year where, you know, he can't overcome his situation. So Jerry Judy down there in the negatives. I mean, yeah, it's, Hunter Renfro, uh, negative 1.65. I know that has to do with missing a game or two, but still. He would be in the negatives probably still, even if he played in those games. Yep. I think that is that is where you're feeling the uh, kind of question on wide receiver values. I think when you have a bunch of these guys, if you've had DJ Moore, Elijah Moore, Jerry Judy, Chase Claypool, those types, Brandon Cooks, you you probably are feeling the okay these guys aren't really threshold receivers you know like they're not receivers i can play with any degree of confidence but they're still good like i bet you if you looked if you correlated i think with the cool thing what we could do with warp with receivers is correlate that with market share and look at kind of where you can spot the deficiencies of these guys is it their situation is it them is it a combination of both but i think you could probably gleam some good data from that too, because I'm sure you can look at some players and go, okay, well, Brandon cook still has a 25% market share. So why is he not producing? You know, mm. like, I think you can look at that kind of stuff and you can spot some differences as to maybe who you should start buying or who you should be looking for a quarterback upgrade uh, at some point, you know, who you still maybe want to buy because it's not necessarily their fault that their warp is low, mm. but yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think what it just tells me is, Maybe we've, maybe we have overvalued the Jar Jamar Chases and Justin Jeffersons just a little bit. Mm-hmm. From a standpoint of, would you really rather have Justin Jefferson if you could have two of, like AJ Brown and Jalen Waddle? Yeah, I probably would rather have Waddle and AJ Brown. You, yeah. If you're talking about like those top. 10 to 15, you'd probably rather have two of those guys than the one of the elite guys, right? Right. Especially with the way we play it. We, you know, if, if you have to uh, start three receivers and two flexes, you want to get five guys, you know, five wide receivers in there as much as you can. So yeah, having multiples of those guys, I would rather have if I could. Yep. So what's that tell you from the, the play perspective? Like I'm not saying go, and pivot off of Chase and Jefferson if you have them, because I think we want to have shares of those guys. But mm-hmm. it it does tell me that I think maybe the better values are 
if the market is saying that, you know, the the AJ Brown price is 60% of the Justin Jefferson price, I'd rather target the AJ Brown price, right? Right. I don't think you or I are ever are I mean, how how often are you going and trying to buy a Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson? It's like really never, right? Like you're never paying three first for a receiver, are you? Unless I'm like contender and that is the last piece that I need is is that stud wide receiver. And this assumes a start ten. A lot of our leagues aren't start ten. I mean, you're definitely not paying three first in a start twelve, are you? No, no. I'm not paying three first for any player outside of the elite quarterback, elite quarterback, Josh Allen, Lamar, Jalen Mahomes. Yeah. I think another interesting take that I I, uh, saw in here was if I look back at the week three warp um, after three weeks, Curtis Samuel was a 1.54 and eighth. And now he's down in the twenties at 0.47. <laughs> so he's, he's fallen quite a bit um, after the, his hot start. Yep. That was one name that popped out to me. Um, Amari Cooper at 11. That one kind of surprised me when I just looked at this. No, I mean, listen, we have to give, uh, we probably have to give a little bit of kudos to, you know, we'll, this is more of a redraft thing, but obviously we're talking seasonal warp, so it kind of applies. But, I mean, we kind of clowned the people that were drafting Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf at their at their ADP, right? If you showed me that receiver room in a, you know, in a main event, you'd be like, woof, right? Right. Yeah. But if you just had those three and you've just started them every week, you're basically getting that the same production that the guy that drafted, you know, Michael Pittman, T Higgins, Debo Samuel is getting, and I guarantee they paid two to three rounds higher on every one of those receivers. Yep. So I think this is a, this kind of speaks to the, maybe we were a little too confident on which receivers we knew were going to be difference makers, but more so which guys were going to suck. And I think maybe the lesson going forward is if you have a guy like Tyler Lockett that you know is a good player, maybe don't necessarily fade him as hard as the situation might warrant. Cause I mean, he was falling to the point where like, he's going six or seven. I mean, he's going behind like rookies that have done nothing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So maybe that's a lesson learned for the future. And I don't, I don't know if that's maybe that's probably a blind spot for us. Cause I don't think, you know, I know you going into the year, like you're not a guy that's going to draft a 30 year old receiver with a shitty quarterback. No, definitely not. So I don't, I mean, I'm not even sure how, how do we learn from like the Amari Coopers of the Tyler Lockett's next year? Cause I know you're not touching those guys next year. Right. I think it's, if you are the number one wide receiver on your team, I, I think I'll give you a, a little bit of credit there where I might take you kind of like, I mean, it's not really working out with the, like Robert Woods this year. But with Amari Cooper, it's working out. With Tyler Lockett, it's working. I mean, Tyler Lockett and Metcalf um, are both in the top twenty. So that if you would have told me that before the beginning of the season, I would have laughed really loud. <laughs> well, um, but if you took if you drafted Brandon Cooks, Darnell Mooney, or Robert Woods, yeah, you're hurt. You're getting so, yeah. you're getting smashed. Yep, and yeah, I think it's 
you know, efficiency of quarterback, like Davis Mills has been god awful this year. He's But did we ever did we ever expect yeah. Geno Smith to be efficient? I think that was no. the difference. Yeah, no. I mean, that's just um a big surprise like we whiffed on that. I think we're going to chalk that one up as a loss, but I'm also not going to like bet on that either. Like I know how these guys usually play. Like I know Baker Mayfield isn't good anymore. I know Mitchell Trubisky is not good. Like Geno Smith had never done anything. Like there was no, nothing that was going to show us or tell us that, Hey, Geno Smith's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year. And he's going to produce and put up all these numbers and be so efficient. Like there was nothing that ever showed us that even when Russell Wilson missed last year, Geno was never this good. So I think it's just one we have to kind of chalk up in as a loss, but I think our process is right. Like 75% of the time. So I'm going to take my process over betting on like an outlier of Tyler Lockett or Amari Cooper being this good personally. Does it, is it a red flag to you that, cause I think an interesting thing to look at is when you go over to the stack tool mm-hmm. and you look at the, the warp stacks, like obviously if you just take any, any of the elite quarterbacks and you stack them with any of their receivers, honestly, even you know, even if you take like the Lamar Jackson, Rashad Batemans, go ahead. I, I think the most interesting one to me is the Stafford Cup one. We were just talking about how bad Stafford is, but Cup is just elevating him so far up and beyond that. You know, I was gonna. Well, I was gonna ask you about that because I think the you can see with this stack tool, you can see where it's beneficial. And I think this this goes back to my theory that I talked about on the last Destination Dynasty pod, that the quarterback's efficiency, for the most part, not in all cases, appears to be driving a lot of the receiver efficiency, right? Like a lot of these good receivers from a work perspective are tied to the quarterbacks. And there's different receivers in there that are tied to the quarterbacks. So you can see the value of stacking not not necessarily Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, but you can see the value of stacking like Josh Allen and Gabe Davis or you know Kyler Murray and Zach Ertz, for instance, could be a stack where it's like if you had that stack, they've given you like a two and a half warp on the season. But right. you would have never really thought like, oh, that's a stack I have to have, you know? Right. But stacking the the positive warp quarterbacks with their peripheral weapons, as long as their peripheral weapons are fitting into kind of the threshold of where you know you need to start players. Like, obviously, a Zach Ertz uh, stack with Kyler Murray when he's your backup tight end and it's a start nine, that doesn't make sense. That wouldn't be a a stack you would would target. Mm. But you would probably want to prioritize a, you know, Tyler Boyd, Joe Burrow stack in a start 13. Because right. you're going to have to start the guy in your 13th or 12th or 11th spot anyway. So it does make sense to attach yourself to those types of stacks. And vice versa, you don't necessarily want to stack the inefficient quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You don't want to stack Matt Stafford with Allen Robinson. Because that's like double killing you, you know? Right. And I'm guessing it's probably Matt Stafford that's killing Allen Robinson versus Allen Robinson killing Matt Stafford. But any stack you've had those two on, you think you're getting this advantage by starting them together when really it, it, it's the opposite. 
So I think that is the fascinating one is when you have these negative warp quarterbacks that have somehow found themselves in with the, with the stack warp being literally above zero because every other one, except for Stafford and cup has been a, a good quarterback. You know what I mean? Like that. What does that tell you? What is your takeaway when you see those numbers? Stafford being as bad as he is, but cup being the highest skill player warp in the entire league. Like one of those has to give, right? Right. So what, what is it? Is it, I mean, is it, and now we talked about this in the discord, like we all know the right move is to sell Cooper cup, right? We already know that he's going to be 30 years old. Like we know this warp probably can't keep up, but what do you do? Like he's one of those tricky players because I guarantee you any team you have cup on is like five and one or six and oh. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're like two and four, three and three, uh, with Cooper Cup, I think you got to sell him and then, you know, could get your value for him. But if you're riding him on your 6-0, and 5-1 team, 4-2 and two team, I think I just ride him out the rest of the year because I just don't know what's going to change this year to have him go down other than an injury to Stafford or whatever. You know what Okay, I mean? but would you sell him for Jalen Waddle straight up? On like, your six and zero contending team, just to escape the potential downfall of knowing a thirty year old receiver is going to hit the wall at some point. No, I think because it's a. It, I mean, Jalen Waddle is eighth, and Cooper Cup is first, and that's a two, a two win difference. But if you if so if you can get into that, you probably can't get CD Lamb for him. Mm. I don't know if you can get AJ Brown for him. Right. But so you're saying if someone offers you T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle, Amon Ross, St. Brown, straight up for Cooper Cup, you're declining it? If I'm a contender right now, yes. Just I'm going to ride this out with Cooper Cup the rest of the year, and then I'll deal with it in the offseason. So you're pushing the envelope and going, I'm not giving up the potential warp, even if I'm getting the 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 reset and a, still a damn good like tier two receiver, you're still declining it for Cup? Yeah, right now if I'm a contender, yep. What needs to be added if someone offered you like Amon Ra for Cup? Would you do it for a second I'm, added on your side? Yeah, I probably would do it for the second. Yeah, I think that would be fair. I mean, so is that more, is that something you recommend that people go to the those guys, the the Higgins, Amon Ra, Waddle, and offer your Cup for one of their guys in a second? Would you be aggressive and do that and try? Because I think it's possible you wouldn't offend anybody by sending that offer. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I just don't know if you're a contender why you should do that. I understand getting the younger asset. We've always tried to done that. But, I mean, he's just a difference maker. I don't know if T. Higgins, he's going to have one really good week and he's going to have one really shitty week. Like Cooper Cup is and Stefan Diggs, these guys are having week after week after week of just absolutely smashing the competition every single week, and they are just a huge giant difference maker. I just, if I'm a contender, I don't. I think I just ride it personally, unless I get like a, a just an absolute smash deal, like you said, like a around in a first or something like that, which I don't think anybody would do. But I mean, I, I think I there's a reason help. that. There's a reason that like Higgins and Waddle and AJ Brown are a little lower because they have a really good receiver that are there with them. 
Right. They just do. You know, I mean, it, you, it's going to be hard to split up the pie, even if those guys. I'm not saying those guys could be Cooper Cup, but I think it's pretty clear that those guys are like the next tier of receivers, where I think most people would put them in their top twelve. Mm-hmm. You know, and as soon as the season ends, there's no. You have to add to Cooper Cup to get those guys. Probably yeah. like a first to get to those guys. So really, you're you're making the conscious decision to ride out the points, knowing that you're going to take the big value hit in six months here. And there's no way you're going to be able to get off Cooper Cup. So that's my next question is, let's say that happens. You don't make the move, even if you don't win the title. You now have Cooper Cup in March. Uh-huh. And you're trying desperately to go get a younger receiver. And of course, you know how our leagues are. Nobody's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to want like a first on top to make that swap. Mm-hmm. So then what do you do? You probably just I'm- fucking double down and go, I'll just ride Cooper Cup into the sunset, right? And try to bank on another high warp season from him. Yeah? You can, or I think another smart play would be wait until your rookie draft and you see, okay, the two running backs have gone and the four quarterbacks are gone. Here's the 107 pick and, you know, you get your pick of whatever wide receiver from the 2023 class that you want. Plus, you can probably get something else for it. So here you go. I'll give you Cooper Cup for your 107 and get like – a third back or a second back or a, another running back back, you know, thrust run, one of these running backs that we have on our rosters, just something like that. I think that's something you could do too. And then you just bank on one of these rookie receivers. Yeah. And I, I think you might even be a little aggressive there. I think that that's the thing is I think you may get to that point. You can't even get the one Oh seven for Cooper cup, not in the midst of the rookie draft rookie fever, man. It, I, you might be able to, in some leagues, Mm-hmm. I just I think the way Dynasty is trending though, in the offseason, it, it almost feels like it's it's a catch twenty-two because the I know the right thing to do is to buy the guy like Cooper Cup with that first on the clock. That's the time to buy him. Because that's right. when the person's probably going, Man, how can I sell this dude? I don't want a 30-year-old receiver. Right. But you also, if you have him, you also don't want to sell him while he's scoring you these points, like you said. So it's like, how do you kind of have the best of both worlds? And I don't know the answer. It's almost like you want to ride Cooper Cup out. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you want to ride him out and help him get you to the buy in your fantasy playoffs and then sell him, you know? Right. And then hope that team you sell him to doesn't beat you with him in the playoffs. But then right. you also get out, but you get most of his production for the season. So it's an it's, it's interesting discussion, too. Uh, I almost want to do another thing, too, looking at some of these secondary stacks with these players, too, because I think it's obvious the... Allen Diggs, Mahomes, Kelsey, Burrow, Chase, Lamar, Andrews, Hertz, AJ Brown. Like everyone knows those stacks are great, mm-hmm. but, I, but I'm curious kind of where some of the other stacks a little bit lower than that have paid off the most, but we can readdress it at another time, but it's interesting. I think another one that's pretty interesting to me too. Now, a lot of the quarterbacks and receiver combos in the stack finder that are at the bottom so, like, Baker obviously has missed games. Zach Wilson's missed a couple games. The Patriots guys have missed games. Uh, Pickett and Trubisky have been switching on and off. Like, I think if those guys didn't have any zeros, like the quarterbacks or whatever receiver played the whole time, I don't think there's too many outside of maybe Tannehill Woods, Fields Mooney, Mills Cooks. I guess the, the Panthers guys would be in this list too. But I think if, like... There's only like four stacks in the whole league that it would be a negative warp to you. So it just makes me know that my 
me stacking in all my leagues and redraft or in dynasty is is the right play that I'm making the right play by stacking. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're working on a limited sample size with these stacks because I mean, you look at like Rodgers and Alan Lazard, right? Like that shows up as it's a, a 1.08 warp. So basically, when you're adding their warp together, you're at 1.08. But the real question is, are you are you benefiting above replacement? by having that stack versus another receiver or another quarterback in the mix. I think that's the difference. We probably have to establish some sort of median or some sort of median average as to where the stack threshold is and then determine if you're above or below that. Because you can definitely look on here and go, you know what? If you stacked in the range where probably from like the, probably cut off around like the Derek Carr, Devontae Adams range, if you have any of those stacks that are above that, you've been, you've gotten your money's worth. But when you start getting below that, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Like Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, a 1.34 warp. But if you look at their individual warps together, like, yeah, it's been 1.34 together. But when you look at it, each one of them individually, like Russ Wilson is at 0.75 and Cortland Sutton is at 0.59. Like those guys relative to their position are really just average. So the stack hasn't really helped you because basically it's just an average stack. You could insert any other average receiver, any other average quarterback. The only way it helps you is if, you know, let's say they've had four out of six games where they've been average, but they've had one or one game where they've blown up. That's the game it helped you, right? Because it probably got you 50 points in that week and you won. So I think that's the only place stacking happens above or around that median is in a week-to-week game, you have a little more potential to have a higher outcome. I think that's why you chase the stacks that are in the middle. That's why you kind of want to tag some of these middle-level stacks more so than non-stacking in that range. Right. Okay. All right. Well, let's tackle the tight ends here real quick. Um, nothing real too fucking crazy. quick. Like yeah. two minutes. Kelsey three eleven, which is the second highest in the league of position players, Mark Andrews, 2.50 Zach Ertz, 1.14. Those are your three tight ends in the league that are above a one. So that's pretty crazy to show you how much those elite tight ends really mean to you. Dallas Goddard's a 0.7 David and Joku 0.59 Taysom Hill is actually a 0.58 Tyler Higby 0.54 TJ Hawkinson 0.49 Gerald Everett, 0.33, and Robert Tunyon, 0.19. And then we get to the 13th tight end is actually a negative. So basically, you know, these tight ends, you got to have pretty much a top four, top five tight end to even get, you know, any benefit, it seems like for me. Yeah, so two points. Um, Zach Ertz is the number three tight end, but he is overall the number 33 overall player in terms of warp across the league. So relative to the rest of the league, the number three tight end isn't helping you that much. There's eight receivers. There's eight running backs. There's 14 quarterbacks that are above him. So just think about that. Like the third overall tight end is it's an advantage against his peers, but relative to the rest of the league is it isn't that high. So that's the first thing. The second thing is one thing you can really notice in here is the benefit of stacking. What do I always say? If you don't have one of the elite tight ends, what is your next best option? 
I'm sorry, what was that again? If you don't have one of the elite tight ends, what is your next best option? Stream. Stack. Oh, stack, yeah. Stack, because if you have to start, I mean, you have Hayden Hurst, tight end 11, right? Mm. 0.11 warped. So nothing. Really yeah. nothing. But how much more valuable is that if you have him on a Joe Burrow team? Yeah, you go to two two nine two. So why it makes total sense to be stacking your tight you end. You know, yeah. Gerald Everett with Justin Herbert, Hayden Hurst with Joe Burrow, Dawson Knox with Josh Allen. You're basically carrying your tight end to a higher range of outcomes simply because he's on the back of the quarterback. Right. So like especially, I mean, you can literally look at these tight ends and from you know, tight end four all the way down to like tight end 20. Mm -hmm. There's less than a point of warp separating them. So you might as well, you know, hook yourself up with the stack in that range. If you're going to play with the tight ends in that range, like it's as simple as that. Like there's no, I don't think there is a bigger advantage than aligning your quarterbacks with the tight ends. So in theory, if you're on the elite quarterbacks, you know, you should have a lot of Hayden Hurst. You should have a lot of Gerald Everett. You should have a lot of Dawson Knox just for that specific reason. So I think that's another takeaway from me. I think that's something I'll take advantage of next year to try to be a little more aggressive on. If I'm in on the quarterbacks, I think some of this tight end pr- production is going to be predictive, you know? Like, I don't – when you look at the tight end landscape, do you do you see anybody that's in that, like – five to 20 range that gets to Mark Andrews level anytime soon. No, not at all. So wouldn't it make sense just to kind of align your Deshaun Watson teams with David and Joku next year and just roll with him. Yeah. And you just be done with it. And if he busts, he busts, but if he hits, you probably have higher upside and you have to admit that even if Njoku is good, he's probably a, you know, half a warp guy at best, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. So, like, you might as well focus on next year aligning the tight ends with the quarterbacks wherever they land. So that's something I'm probably going to uh, – and then vice versa. You know, if you've been starting the the lower tight ends that are negative warp, I mean, you know, it, if you find guys that are in the negatives and you have a quarterback that's been in the negative, good luck. They're killing you, you know? Like, oh. not only are you taking it – you're taking it, taking a beating at the tight end, but you're starting them with a negative warp quarterback too, like the Cole Komet, Justin Fields. Like if you just started them one time, they killed you. And we yeah. talked about that on the first episode. People probably started them together for the first two games and they were like the worst tandem you could have put together. So, yeah. Um, and another thing too, if you're a contender and you need to make that big impact move, I'm just, I'm, I'll go get Cal- Kelsey or Andrews. And if I have to give up two first to get one of those guys, well, probably not Kelsey, obviously, because he's older. But Andrews, I'm willing to give up two first to go get him. Uh, Kelsey, I'm willing to give up a 2023 first to go get Kelsey on a contender team if I need it to put me over the top. You give up Pitts for Andrews? Yeah, I would do that. So just straight up going for the points, chasing the warp? Yeah, I think I I think I would move Andrews to my number one dynasty tight end right now, and, and Pitt second. Yeah, I agree with that. I, that, I mean, that. I, they're close, but I mean, Pitts is killing you right now. He's a negative, negative point five five. And I mean, there's you have to admit there's a little bit of worry that it, it it's not going to be all next year. He'll be fine. What if he's no, not? 
what, what if, if Arthur they, Smith's a good coach and he just runs this system constantly, no matter who the quarterback is, and you get frustrated, you know? What, I can see what, it. What if they just fucking keep Mariota because he's winning games? Well, even if they get rid of Mariota, do, do you do you think they're going to come in and just start running the you know Chiefs offense? No, they're going to run the same damn offense. So even if it's a better quarterback, like I, I think it is fair to sit there and go, all right, he's probably not. It's going to be hard for him to get even to the Andrews level in the next two or three years. Right. So yeah, I, I can definitely justify making that move if you have to, and I think a lot of people weren't there even a couple weeks ago, but I mean, how many more, how much more smash production do you need to get from Andrews to where it's like, all right, I, I'll just ride it out. You know, like he literally could be the next Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I agree. yeah, I mean, I'm looking back at uh 2020 war when Johnu Smith had his decent season with Tennessee. Uh, he was still a negative for the whole season. He was a negative 0.08. Um, with Arthur Smith there. So it's not like Arthur Smith has ever produced like a really good tight end. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting to think about too. When you look back at the prior years too, and you see it's pretty much the damn same at tight end, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and that, I think the other interesting one is remember that chart that we looked at um, from Adiko on our first warp podcast, mm-hmm. like the numbers are just bearing out exactly the same. Like, Top 36 receiver, 36 receiver is literally at zero, even. Yeah. So And the tight ends were like at like tight end four. The dip dropped super hard. Yep, and here it is again, doing the same thing. So it's kind of crazy to, to look at those charts and how how similar they are to from year to year to year. I mean, it's it's pretty much the same. So next year, like just for like redraft purposes, does this, does this make you say like you're – you're definitely not chasing any of these tight ends like tight end four through nine or 10 and redraft. Doesn't that feel like that's just kind of a waste to chase somebody in that range when you can just get a guy tight end 15. That's the damn same thing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've pretty much self-consciously already have done that in all of our leagues. If we're not getting Kelsey Andrews pits basically is what we looked at it this year. Then we're just punting. Like we don't care. We'll take one in round 10 or 11. Um, I think that, you know, we've done that. I think this also, now it could be just this year, just because of how really good these elite quarterbacks are, but it makes me want to get an elite quarterback too. Like one of these I, top five or six. I think the flaw is though, you, you know, that subconsciously you play that way, mm-hmm. but then you also go, okay, well I can pick the one in that range. That's going to exceed that range. I can get the deal on the tight end in round six that I know is going to, that could finish in the top three. Right. When in re- reality, the ones that are going to finish in the top three are probably the ones that have done it like three straight years before that. And it's probably not going to be the random tight end eight that jumps into the top two, you know? Right. Like you'll get a tight end that you can get in round 10 or 11 that pops up every year. So it looks like this year it's in Joku and Higby are probably going to be the top tight ends that are, you could have gotten round 10, 11, 12 consistently that are going to pop up. Um, you know, there's going to be ones like Dalton Schultz last year. Same thing. He popped up from probably waiver wires uh, or late um, in the draft season. He was going like round 15, 16. That's another guy that just shot up. So, like, there's one or two that can do it, but you got to be really good at predicting it. And you probably want a super efficient quarterback like 
you know, Dak um, and Dalton Schultz. Um, you know, Brissett's been pretty um, efficient this year with Njoku. I mean, Stafford hasn't been that great, but he's just been targeting the shit out of Higby to where he has to have this high of a wart just uh, based off his usage. Yeah, and I think in this kind of low-end range, you don't necessarily need the efficiency either. You can make it up for just getting sheer more targets than everybody else like Higby's done. Right. But I think the key is trying to find that tight end that can finish in like the top six outside of the top 15 cost. Right. But rarely or never are you going to find an elite tight end buried down. Like it would be possible for a wide receiver or a running back to jump into the like high end elite range from a little bit lower down, but not at tight end. Like, I think that's, that's definitely something I'll take in mind next year. Like maybe you pick one name. Like if you wanted to take Goddard this year at like the fifth or sixth round, I understand like that's your guy, but you don't want to go, Oh, I'll take a Hawkinson. I'll take a Schultz. I'll take a Goddard. I'll take a Waller. You know what I mean? Like drafting one or two of each of those guys pretty much we already know like 80% of those picks are going to be wastes. Right. So you kind of just got to plant your flag when you're talking about tight ends in this range. Interesting stuff. I never thought we'd do more than two minutes on tight ends, but it is uh, (laughs) kind of fascinating to think about. I kind of agree with you. Like if I have contenders, I'm almost, I'd almost rather just go get the elite tight ends and I'll go down with the ship with a dozen Kelsey shares. You know what I mean? Whatever. Uh, or Andrews. Yeah. Just go get Andrews and pay her two first and be done with it. Cause here's the thing. Even if Kelsey starts to decline, how, how far does he decline before he's still not Tyler Higby? Right. Like, don't you think he has at least like two or three more years of like Tyler Higby in him? Yeah. I before he's dead. So like, it's not like you get zeros. He just falls back to the pack, but man, like, we thought the same about Zach Ertz too. We thought, oh, Zach Ertz is dead for two years now, and he's still number three. Hey, but that's that's what I'm fascinated with with Kelsey because literally, unless his body breaks down and he can't play, even if you reduced his warp by like three times, he's still the tight end too. Yeah, like he. I mean, you can take away half his production, and he's Tyler Higby. So it's like, is he going to get there overnight? Probably not. Like, it's going to probably be a slow decline to where it's like, all right, in 2026, he's going to retire. Okay. But you still got value for him for a while. So I'm kind of, makes me want to go buy some more Kelsey, to be honest. Yeah. Jeez, jeez. Can't believe I came to that conclusion, but the data (laughs) speaks for itself. And I would say most of your Mahomes teams, you have Kelsey on it, right? Uh, not as many as you'd think. Okay. I think only like maybe two or three. I have the stack. I like 10, 10 maybe Mahomes that, and maybe only two or three Kelsey. I definitely think that's uh, cause that's the number two stack in the game. 6.8 right now behind Allen and Diggs at 7.98. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe you try and if your Mahomes teams are contending, you go get Kelsey. Yeah. So interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, you ready to play America's favorite game? I'm ready, yep. All right. Um, so this came off of a uh, an email I got. No, it was a, a picture that was uh, put in the DD Discord, I think, last night. And I was like, ooh, that looks cool, that looks cool. And they were old, like, uh, I think it was the top ten, like, selling NBA jerseys. 
So what I want to know is what is your favorite NBA jersey of all time? Oh, I thought you were going to try to get me to guess the top ten. No, no, no. But what is your favorite uh, NBA jersey of all time? Because they had like pictures of all the top selling jerseys um, on there. I think like LeBron's was first and like second was actually like Scottie Pippen. Third was Vince Carter and then fourth was MJ. Like so like those legends are still, you know, selling jerseys and they're not even playing in the league anymore. So I was just kind of curious, what was your favorite NBA jersey? Because like I said, they showed the pictures on then and gave me a few ideas of like, oh, man, I miss this jersey. I miss that jersey. So favorite NBA jersey, man. So when I was a little kid, I remember the first jersey I ever got was one of the old Atlanta Hawks jerseys, you know, the red jerseys with the yellow like square hawk on it. And right, right. it was a Dominique Wilkins jersey was the first one I ever had. Okay. And then I'd say my favorite was probably when I'd probably say it was when the Sixers had their uh their red jerseys, like their bright red jerseys from the early two thousands. Yeah, so like Iverson's rookie but, year they wore those. Yeah, they had a couple cool jerseys, but yeah, when they had those red and they had the blue alternatives to the same jersey, I liked those. I'd probably say those were the two. At least those are jerseys that I had. So I'd say those two because I I didn't buy many basketball jerseys, but when I did, like those were two I remember having. I probably had like a dozen in my life, and those were were two of the ones that I specifically wanted. Yeah, I've had a few in my my time too, but not too many. Uh, But the one that brought me back to – what my favorite was, was the Vince Carter purple Jersey with the big Raptor on it. That was probably, that was probably my, my favorite, like coolest looking Jersey. Um, I I had one as a kid too. There was a different one on there. It was a, a Penny Hardaway magic one. It was their black one with the blue pinstriping. That one was cool, but I had a Shaquille O'Neal magic one. That was, uh, they're all Royal blue Jersey, but it had like these, stars on it um there weren't like a like any color or anything but they were like kind of like into the material and kind of hard to explain uh they wore those for a couple seasons i loved that Shaq jersey um because i used you know being a kid like Shaq and penny those guys were just so cool to watch and stuff i would say that those were probably my two favorite jerseys the the raptors purple jerseys and the uh the, the magic jersey was like the stars in it. I thought those were really cool. And then also, um, obviously, the black Chicago Bulls ones uh, with the red pinstriping, those were cool too from the Jordan era. Yep. Yeah, I liked both of those. So, Good question. Right. Yeah, so I got one for next week already planned in my head, so I want, I'm not going to spoil it yet, but uh, got one for next week planned out already. So. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode. I am uh, at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter, and you can find the show at America's Game Pod as well. Make sure you guys are um, subscribing to the podcast feed here on Destination Devi. Make sure you're joining the Discord f- with us. Join us. There's all kinds of good conversations, especially in that Heisman tier. We're doing like literally like two hour voice chats every single day in there. Well, while people are at work or later on at night, there's always people in there chatting it up about dynasty football. So if you can join the Heisman tier, I know there's only a few limited spots 
but if you ever get the chance to join that, I definitely recommend it. Uh, we got our our newsletter as well. That's allgas.beehive.com, and Beehive is B-E-H-I-I-V. Make sure you guys join that. Subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every single week as well. On Fridays, you get a lot of really good info in those newsletters. So um, I know I'm posting in there. I usually do my weekly uh, outside the top 12 or top 36 um, sits and or my starts for that week. Give you guys some like deeper, you know, uh, starts for that week that you can put into your lineup. So been enjoying doing that for you guys as well. Scott, what do you got coming up on um, Destination Dynasty coming up on Monday? Yeah, so the next episode uh, is going to be another quarterback show. Going to talk a little more broad in terms of just quarterback strategy. Look at some kind of NFL efficiency compared to like dynasty values. Uh, and then, you know, everyone knows where to find me at Charles Chill FFB. Uh, and I do a lot of other stuff on Dynasty Trades in Five. So we're basically doing any other content I do that's not on our Patreon uh, or not for DD is on Trades in Five. So the, you're going to get a lot of my uh, my takes on there. So that's a, a YouTube only channel. So check out. I know a lot of people from DD listen to Trades in Five and vice versa. Uh, but, you know, shout out to the guys, Clay and Shane with Trades in Five. We uh, That's where you'll find a lot of my like, current dynasty stuff, you know, like we kind of have more abstract big picture discussions on here, but if you're wanting like immediate reactions on like stuff that's going on and stuff like that, either join the discord. Uh, Cause you know, we're in the discord and the Heisman tier pretty much daily, you know, like anything that's breaking is getting discussed like ad nauseum, like literally picture this podcast, like, but like 20 other people constantly. So it's, as, I mean, it's a, it's a riot. The news breaks too. Yep. 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 So a lot, if you like this kind of discussion, like there's, there's limited slots, but if you're like truly a degenerate that is searching for this, this type of stuff all day, all night, like constantly, I mean, we're literally, literally yeah. you could get 12 hours worth of like this podcast there, yeah, you know like, what I mean? A day. Yeah. Yep. And so. everybody's, everybody's really uh, friendly in there, helpful with any trades and stuff. Uh, you'll get some goofiness in there with me and some others. So it's always a good time in there. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. For sure. But yeah, that's where you can find everything that I do, uh, Twitter and then, uh, at trades in five, other than everything that's on DD. So another episode in the books, man. Yep. 15 down, still not canceled yet. So we're doing good. Yep. <laughs> good luck everybody in uh week seven. We're kind of at that point where it's like the halfway point. So yep. be studying your leagues, be studying your potential points, read your bylaws, uh, time to start driving uh, whatever direction you want to go. Don't be, you know, not yep. sure which way you're going to head. So don't want to get stuck in the middle yep. and uh, be be the first to the market, wherever side of the market you're going to be on. So that would be my advice. So sign yep. off and uh, good luck to everybody in week seven. We'll catch you on the next show. Yep. And we'll see you guys next week. Um,